Sermon 30 of the Sermons upon the Epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians by John Calvin, translated by Arthur Golding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put ye on the new man which is created after God in righteousness and holiness of truth. Wherefore, put away lying, and speak truth every of you to his neighbour, for we be members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. We have now to lay forth the second part of the well-ordering of our life set down here by St. Paul, which is that we must walk in newness of life, because it behoveth us to be reformed by God's Spirit. And to the intent we may know that our changing must not be in part only, but in whole, St. Paul taketh here the thing that seemeth most excellent and most esteemed in man's nature, namely knowledge, understanding, wit, reason, and all manner of ability of mind. Then, if there be any wisdom in us, St. Paul saith, it must be corrected. And why? True it is that our reason of itself is always commendable, but we be so corrupted by Adam's sin that we have not the skill to think so much as one good thought which is not crooked and full of malice and rebellion against God. And although this be not perceived openly, yet will there ever be some secret hypocrisy lurking, which is enough and too much to condemn us before God. Ye see then that the thing whereunto we must enforce ourselves, if we purpose to please God, is that being rid of all our own conceits and affections, we get us a new guide, that is to wit, God's Spirit. According whereunto he useth a like manner of sentence in the twelfth to the Romans, in speaking of Christian life. It behoveth us to be transformed not only in our affections, which are sinful, as every man may judge, but even in the thing which seemeth faultless, that is to wit, in the reason that we have spoken of. To be short, we must be sacrificed, or else our life will be always unholy and unclean. And this sacrificing is expounded by St. Paul in the text before alleged, to be the laying away and mortifying of all that we have of ourselves. Our true perfection, then, is that, fighting against all that is of our own nature, we suffer ourselves to be governed by God's Spirit, so as it may be perceived that we be utterly changed. For it is not enough that our life have some honesty to the worldward, so as it may be commended and had in good reputation among men, but also ambition and all other vices that lie lurking within us must be cleansed away, and our Lord must have the guiding of us. And for that cause also doth he add, that we must be reformed according to God, namely in true righteousness and holiness. Like as heretofore he had condemned the old man, which, as I have told you already, is all that ever we bring from our mother's womb, so now he saith that we must be new creatures. And for the same cause doth he send us to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sixth to the Romans, saying, that we must be crucified and die with him, namely in respect of the old man, and also be fashioned like to his rising again, to walk in newness of life. It is true that he useth other words there, howbeit all cometh to one, which is that like as our Lord Jesus is the second Adam, so must he be as a pattern to us, and we be fashioned after him and his image, that we may be like him. Now surely this will not come to pass of our own nature, but yet is not this exhortation more than needeth, because that when the Holy Scripture bringeth us to our Lord Jesus Christ, it meaneth not that we should be as blocks of wood, but that we should come and offer ourselves to God, 
that he may work in us. And in very deed these two things agree very well, that the power which is in us should come of God, for it is he that moveth us unto good, it is he that bringeth us to it, it is he that giveth us both the will and the ability to perform the will, as we have seen in another text. And yet God worketh so in us that of his gracious favour the good works that are done are called ours. And in good sooth, when we be so led by him, we go. And it is not to be wondered at that God's goodness stretcheth so far as to make the things ours which are his, and whereof he only deserveth the praise. For we call the bread that we eat our own, though we have it but by the title of gift, for although men take pain for it, yet it could not stand them in any stead but through God's free blessing. Then look what is given us, we call it our own. Even so, St. Paul exhorteth us to put on the new man, not that we can do it of ourselves, for Jesus Christ must be fain to clothe us with his righteousness, as well as make us partakers of the gifts of his Holy Spirit. And I pray you what is meant by putting on of the new man. I have told you already that it is the utter changing of us, both in our thoughts and in our desires, and, to be short, in all the parts of our soul. Now is not such an alteration the special work of God and the gift of his Holy Spirit? St. Paul therefore meaneth not that we can do anything as of our own power, but yet that every of us ought to strain himself to follow whithersoever he calleth us. And therewithal he warneth us that all our life is very dangerful until we change, and that the newness appear in us. Now St. Paul saith that the new man is created after God and his image, and therein he confirmeth the matter which I go about to touch, that is to wit, that although we strain ourselves to the uttermost that we can, yet can we do nothing unless we be prevented by God's grace. Which of us can be his own maker? We know that that honour must be reserved unto God alone. But here the case standeth upon a new creating. That therefore cannot be in man's will, nor yet in his power. And St. Paul also has dispatched that doubt and scruple in saying that the new man is created of God. As if he should say, my friends, Indeed, ye ought not to abuse the grace that is offered you by the gospel. But yet, for all that, assure yourselves that when ye have strained yourselves what ye can to dedicate yourselves to God's service, ye can do nothing further forth than he worketh in you by his Holy Spirit. According whereunto, he saith in another place that we do work our own salvation, even as though we could do somewhat of ourselves, but yet he addeth that it must be in fear and trembling, that is to say, with putting away of all presumption, knowing that it behoveth us to depend upon another, and he addeth the reason, for it is God, saith he, which giveth both the will and the ability to perform it, and all of his own free goodness." After that manner, then, we must endeavour ourselves. But yet must we not, therefore, conceive a vain overweening in the meanwhile, as though we had some shift and were able on our own side to do never so little without God's grace. St. Paul exhorteth us, rather, to fear and weariness. And why? For seeing we be as weak as may be, and not only that, but also stark dead, and as good as rotten carrions in all cases of our salvation, and have not so much as one good thought of our own, seeing, I say, that we have all at God's hand, and that he must be fain to work it by the power of his Holy Spirit, let us learn to walk in humility, and moreover, let us not cease to make his grace available, assuring ourselves that his working by his power shall be always in such wise as the praise must ever redound to him alone, and no drop of it remain over to ourselves. 
Ye see then what we have to remember upon this speech where St. Paul saith that the new man is created. Yea, verily, and therein he showeth how we be fallen from our original and from the state whereto we were advanced by God's grace in the person of our forefather Adam. As if he said that Adam's fall is unto us as a spiritual death, whereby we be cut off and cast away from the number of God's creatures. And not without cause doth God so oft utter this dreadful saying, that he repenteth him that ever he made man. For therein he detesteth the corruption and sin that are in us. Not that God hath any human passions in him, but to show us that he utterly misliketh us, until his image be renewed in us. It is said that God looked upon all that he had made, and all was exceeding good and faultless. But when our father Adam was once fallen, and had made himself a stranger to the fountain of life, by and by he was stripped stark naked of all goodness. For being separated from God, what could he be but utterly forlorn and past hope of recovery? Shall we find either life or righteousness or holiness or soundness or uprightness out of God? No. Ye see then that Adam was, as it were, cut off from the array of creatures. He was not worthy to be reckoned even among the frogs and other vermin of the earth. Brag we as much as we list, that is our nature. We bear a greater curse of God than is in all the lice and fleas and in all the worms of the earth. That is the cause why St. Paul showeth us that God cannot acknowledge us for his children until his image be repaired in us, which thing is done by this new creation. For like as Adam drew us all down and plunged us with himself in the gulf of death, so are we created new again by God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for that cause doth he name himself the resurrection and life. For we must rise again in him if we will live indeed which thing cannot be except we have first been dead, as was declared more at large this morning. Therefore we ought to have this reason always with us, that we wean not ourselves to be righteous, or to make our life allowable before God, but be ever fully resolved and persuaded that God will take nothing in good worth at our hands, but that which he knoweth to be his own. For, as I said, without him there is nothing but evil. For by that means was his image defaced in us by Adam's sin, and therefore it standeth us on hand to be made new again in Jesus Christ. Now he showeth us how that may be done, saying, In righteousness and holiness. By the word righteousness he meaneth soundness and uprightness, so as we live with our neighbours, without deceit and without malice or harm-doing, yielding to every man that which is his. Now when such a soundness reigneth in us, then shall we show by our deeds that we be fashioned again after God's image in righteousness. But it is not enough that men have their right, except God also have his. For to what purpose is it for us to be no thieves towards men, and yet to be traitors towards God? Or to abstain from stealing away our neighbor's goods, and in the meanwhile to rob God of his honor? Therefore must righteousness be matched with holiness, for the two tables of the law are inseparable. And under the word holiness, St. Paul comprehendeth all things that belong to the serving of God. The newness of our life, therefore, is this, namely, to walk purely before God, to eschew all corruption and uncleanness, to separate ourselves from all the defilements of the world, and to offer ourselves in sacrifice unto God. And on the other side, to walk soundly and uprightly with our neighbors. The performance of these two things is all that is requisite to the perfection of a Christian life. Now it is certain that God's law hath not taught us by halves what we have to do, but God hath there showed us a right rule, whereunto there may be nothing added, nor aught taken from it. 
For in those two points is all our righteousness contained, namely, that God be honoured in all fear and reverence at our hands, and that we serve one another without doing any harm. Again, forasmuch as men are inclined piteously to feigning, and do ever think it enough to set some fair countenance upon the matter, therefore doth St. Paul add truth, as if he said, that we may be taken for the holiest folk in the world, and yet nevertheless be condemned before God, if we be not cleansed from all hypocrisy, so as God may be our witness and judge, that we be not double-minded, nor have any bombasting in us, but that we go on in right-meaning simplicity before him. So then, although our hands be clear from theft, extortion, and other things that are against charity, if we have lusts lurking within us, surely we shall be still unclean before God. Not without cause, therefore, doth St. Paul add the word truth, notwithstanding that he hath comprehended the whole perfection of our life in the two former points. For it is because we would always content God with some gay outward show, according to the vanity and leasing wherewith we be fraught. Therefore it behoved this to be added, that like as God is a spirit, so must we also be faithful and true before him. For he abhorreth all doubleness of heart, which the scripture termeth heart and heart. If we fall to making of partitions, and keep some back shop behind, all that ever cometh from us must needs be filthy and corrupt, as springing from an evil and infected fountain. Then, if we desire to have our hearts allowed of God, the fountain must first be scoured, and truth must reign in us. Now we see an effect whereto it behoveth us to apply all our endeavour, as long as we live here beneath. For to boast ourselves to be Christians, and not to consider on what condition Jesus Christ is our head, and hath knit us unto him, is a turning of all things upside down, as hath been said this morning. Then look what manner of ones we covet to be counted and esteemed among men. The same must we be before God and his angels. Therefore we must fight against our own vices, until all that is of our own nature be done away. Not that that can be done in one day, but that we must go towards it continually more and more. And further let us assure ourselves that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us for a pattern and example, and moreover, that it is his office to reform us so by the Spirit of God his Father, as we may walk in newness of life and become God's creatures, and as all that ever we have drawn from the corruption of Adam's sin may be quite cleansed away. Therewithal let us consider also what is the pith of the things that God alloweth, and which is the rule of good life, namely first to honour and serve God, and afterward to walk neighbourly one with another, endeavouring to do good to such as have need of us, and abstaining from doing all manner of evil and harm. This doctrine were easy enough to conceive, so we were not utterly perverted by our own wicked affections. And soothly, there is not that man which is not a great doctor in preaching unto other men, but yet as clear and apparently known as these things are, no man can apply them to his own use. Yet shall there be no excuse for us when we shall be fain to come to account before the great judge. Wherefore let us bear this doctrine well in mind, yea, and let us give good heed to it, seeing it is so ill put in your through the whole world. Among the papists there is talking enough of God's service and of living holily, but yet the world seeth how those wretched souls stand buzzing about a sort of pelting trifles, and that for all their over-labouring of themselves they be never the forwarder, but rather the further off from God. And what is the cause of it? Even this, that every man of his own head deviseth a rule to his own liking, and in the meanwhile God speak familiarly and without any darkness, is not heard at all, but men do rather give themselves to the things that cannot avail them. 
As for us, although we have the light of the gospel and can say that the superstitions of papistry are but trifles, yet are we nevertheless far off from this doctrine. And if a man should sift our lives, where is this true holiness? Where is this righteousness? For as for the gospel, most men take what they like of it, and tread God's truth under their feet as oft as they list. To be short, ye shall find that they which brag most of their reformation nowadays are unholy and unclean people, yea, for the most part, even dogs that bark against God, despise his truth and rail at his word, unless it be when they let it slip, because they think it neither here nor there. That is the holiness of a number that would be counted nowadays great Christians and pillars of the church, insomuch that they would make themselves greater than God if they could. Yea, and although they be but worms and worms meet, yet cease they not to blaspheme so far, and to cast forth their thunderbolts and madness, as to say that men shall speak as they will have them, or else they will conquer God for it. And as touching the said righteousness, where shall a man find it? Every man says, there is nothing but deceit, nothing but craft, nothing but forswearing, extortion, outrage, and violence. Every man complains of his neighbours, and his neighbours of him. Howsoever the case stand, we see that righteousness is as good as banished out of the world. And therefore, inasmuch as the name of Jesus Christ and of his gospel is so shamefully unhallowed by such as abuse it falsely, we have so much the more need to remember what St. Paul saith here, namely that God will disclaim us until we bear his mark, and be created new again in Jesus Christ. As how? To be truthful. For, as I have said already, Though we were esteemed as angels, yet shall our hypocrisy be always loathly before God, if we be not cleansed of it, and endeavour with a true and right-meaning affection to employ ourselves to the serving of God and to the helping of our neighbours. Now hereupon he divideth this doctrine into several points, applying it to particular exhortations. For first he saith that every man must leave lying and speak the truth to his neighbours, because we be members all of one body. Not without cause doth St. Paul here lay forth things particularly, which he had erst spoken generally, for we would always shift our hands of the doctrine, that it might vanish away in the air and not come at us. Not that God's speaking to us in general might not suffice us, if we were teachable as we ought to be, to receive instruction at his hand, but because we be so snarled in our vanities that... If God do but say generally that we must be reformed according to his image, and utterly renounce ourselves, it toucheth us not at all, but we let it pass. Therefore is he fain to decipher it by piecemeal, as if he should make an anatomy of our thoughts and affections, and bring to light the vices, which we would fain hoard up in other mother. That is the thing which St. Paul goeth now about. He had said that it behoveth us to be reformed after the image of God by our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the new man and the head whereunto we must be like fashioned. Now, if he had gone no further than so, that doctrine had been received without gainsaying, but in the meanwhile no man had fared the better by it, as by a lively instruction. But now will he speak of whoredom, of theft, of deceitfulness, of drunkenness, of hatred, of heart-burning, and of the subtle flights that pass between neighbour and neighbour. When things are thus laid forth by particulars, men are the more wakened, and although every man shrink back, and invent excuses, and devise shifts, yet will we, nil we, we must needs feel some hard-bitings in us. That is the order which St. Paul keepeth here. 
Wherefore, let us make well, that it is not enough for us to have been taught our duty in one word, and as it were at a glance, but God had need to warn us, and to show us flatly as well the vices whereto we be subject and inclined of our own nature, as also the vices whereto the devil draweth us by his temptations and wiles. To be short, God must be fain to guide our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, and our mouths. He must be fain to make us see that we may overshoot ourselves in this sort and that sort. To the end, we may be well armed on all sides, that the devil find not any gap open, nor be able to make any breach into us. That is it which we have to bear in mind, to the intent we take not ourselves to be so able folks, as that the once hearing of a matter is enough for us. For we shall wonder to see how the devil will nevertheless overreach us many ways, and therefore let us be well aware that we give good ear to all the warnings that are given us, because it is not any whit more than needeth. And forasmuch as St. Paul had spoken of truth, he saith, Put away lying, and speak every man the truth. He saith the word truth in another sense here, than he did afore. For in calling holiness and righteousness truthful, he meant that there ought to be no glossing or disguising, but a right-meaning simplicity, that when God looketh as a witness into our hearts, he may find no double-dealing in us. After that manner was the word truth taken afore. Now he speaketh of the truth that ought to reign among us, when we traffic or bargain one with another. Then must we be faithful and trusty in all our business and doings, and we must use no wiles nor deceit. And yet that is not enough." But we must mark that this truth whereof St. Paul speaketh is such a plain dealing as we lay open all that is in our heart if need require, and in any wise go not about to get other men's good to us by subtlety and craftiness, nor to profit ourselves by another man's loss. And on the contrary part, under this word lying, he comprehendeth not only the lies that are made in speech, as when a man saith, that white is black, as, for example, if one should ask a man the price of a thing, he would sell that for a crown, which is not worth a shilling. St. Paul speaketh not of the lies that are so gross and far out of square that even little children are able to condemn them, but by the name of lying he meaneth all manner of counterfeiting and cousining, and, to be short, all the policies and shifts that men have, and wherein they glory. Look what the world termeth wisdom or policy— that doth St. Paul call flat lying. And why? For a man is not counted to be witty nowadays, except he can filch and deceive, I mean by byways and covert conveyances, which men shall not perceive. But this gear is worse than the picking of a chest and the breaking asunder of the ironwork to get away the money, or than the murdering of a man when a thief comes with a naked sword to cut a poor wayfarer's throat. Therefore these politic murderers which will needs be counted honest men, may disguise themselves as much as they list by their hypocrisy, but yet they are called here both deceivers and thieves and murderers. Not that they appear so before men, but God, who seeth deeper than we do, will judge of their doings as they be indeed. And what shall men gain by excusing themselves? Nothing. Then if we mark this gear well, we shall see that in speaking of lies, St. Paul condemneth the things that men make most account of, of subtlety and wittiness, and skill to behave a man's self in all company. For the world says a man must hold with the hare and hunt with the hound, he must beware that he be not overwrought, and he must always prevent rather than be prevented. 
The fashion of the world, then, is that every man stands so upon his guard that he have his nets ready to entrap other men, and to entangle them a hundred times, ere they be aware of it. But St. Paul saith we must use such a soundness and plain dealing, as we must speak truth one to another. And he bringeth us back to that which he had treated after, to another purpose, namely that we be all but one body. Now then, let us come to our own members. If my one hand should play legerdemain and convey all things to itself, to the hurt of the other, if my foot should conspire against my leg, or if my belly could work some petty slight against my stomach, what a thing were it? Now then, if we be members of our Lord Jesus Christ, is it not a separating of ourselves from his body, when we use such fine shifts and petty slights, notwithstanding that they be not condemnable afore men? No doubt, but we will protest enough with our mouths that we be Christians, but whatsoever we pretend, Jesus Christ will not be misfashioned after our fancy. Like as he is but one, so will he have us to be all one in his body, yea, even with this condition that every of us serve his neighbours, which cannot be done except all counterfeiting be first put away, as we see that the hand doth yield itself simply to the service of the rest of the body, and likewise the foot and every other member doth his duty. If any one be in danger, the rest will not sink aside, but all employ themselves to succour it. Among them there is no proffer of deceit, but all cling together, according to the order of nature. Even so ought we to prove ourselves to be the members of Jesus Christ by like plain dealing. St. Paul then applieth to this particular exhortation the thing that he had spoken in general, namely, that if we be cleansed from all hypocrisy and feigning before God, we will show it in our whole life. For when we have to do one with another, we will use no guile, but walk plainly. That is for one point. And thereof springeth another, which is, that we must not provoke or anger one another. For we see that if a man but move us a little, by and by we be in a chafe, and our passions are so excessive, as there is neither reason nor measure with us. And when men are so carried away, they do so forget themselves, as nothing can weigh with them. Use what persuasion ye can." And therefore St. Paul saith that if we be not quiet one with another, we cannot be knit into the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And beside that, as much as lieth in us, we deface God's image in us by giving head so to our passions, to chafe after that fashion, and to be so hot one against another. Now it should seem by all likelihood that he meant to take this common saying as drawn out of the fourth psalm, not that he alleggeth the psalm to report the natural sense of it, but to apply it to his own purpose. For we may well take many texts of Scripture and apply them to diverse things, howbeit without altering of anything in them, and yet notwithstanding they shall abide in their natural sense still. Even so, to the end that St. Paul's saying might be the better received, he saith, Be angry and sin not as though it had been a common saying, and so well known, as it had been taken almost for a proverb. Now David useth a word which signifieth properly to chafe and storm, howbeit that was in rebuking such as persecuted him wrongfully, because they were hardened in their malice, and forepossessed with so great and venomous rage against him, that they made no conscience to oppress him. Forasmuch, therefore, as he saw such willful stubbornness in his enemies, he saith unto them, Be ye angry, and ye shall not sin. Whereby he doth us to wit, that the cause why they were so carried away with rage against him was, that there was neither fear of God, nor honesty, nor conscience that could hold them back any more, 
but that they were become as wild beasts. And that is the cause why he saith, Be angry, that is to say, enter a little into questioning and reasoning with yourselves, examine what ye be doing, and then will ye not sin any more. If every of you will go into his chamber and bethink himself advisedly, ye shall perceive that hitherto ye have been driven by devilish rage. Now this doctrine is right necessary for all men, because we see what headiness there is in us, insomuch that we have no sooner conceived any toy in our head, but that by and by, without inquiring of God's will, or without asking counsel at his mouth, as the prophet Isaiah exhorteth us to do, we take the thing that we have conceived for good, and will needs subdue all men to our liking, and therefore the cause why we overshoot ourselves so much is that we enter not into examination of the matter with ourselves, that we might discern between the good and the evil, even by yielding God his due authority, in giving care with all reverence and modesty to the things that he showeth us by in his word. Then have we need to be angry, that is to say, to be grieved with ourselves and to complain of ourselves, that we sooth not ourselves as we have been wont to do. If we do so, we shall not sin, that is to say, the great malapertness that is so deeply rooted in us will soon be abated, for we shall abhor to fight against God, and if our affections get aforehand with us, God will set in foot against them and say, How now? Will ye make war against me unawares? Now hereupon St. Paul saith, Be ye angry, and sin not. As if he should say, My friends, what maketh you to storm so one against another? For if never so little a fault be committed against you, ye be straight in a chafe, and would render up heaven and earth to be revenged of the offence. And yet, in the mean season, ye have matter enough to be offended every one with himself. Never go from your own person to seek cause of anger, for how many ways offend you God every day? Ye cease not to provoke him early and late. And yet, if one touch but the tip of your finger, ye are by and by in a pelting chafe. And what is the cause thereof? But that, as it seemeth, ye have conspired with Satan to torment yourselves so. Ye bear yourselves on hand, ye shall be well in quiet, when ye have revenged the wrong that hath been done unto you. But it is a cursed quietness, when men are so at rest, by being revenged upon those that have offended them. The way, then, to assuage all these wicked heats, is for every man to think with himself, that he shall surely have enough wherefore to be grieved with himself, and to be angry with himself, and to be revenged of himself. According whereunto St. Paul, in the second to the Corinthians, declaring what true repentance is, alleggeth the sorriness which we conceive upon the knowing of our sins, saying that the said sorriness bringeth with it a grief which suffereth us not to be in quiet and rest, but maketh us to fall to stomaching against ourselves, in consideration of the terribleness of God's wrath, which we have provoked against us, and yet notwithstanding suffereth us not to cease to be still of good hope by resting upon God's goodness and mercy. Therefore, if one be once come to the point that they can be angry with themselves when they know they have sinned, and seek not to be revenged of their enemies, but rather are ready to do them good, and do pray for them, that is a good exercise, and every man ought to spend himself in that battle. For surely they be good and holy passions when a man's anger proceedeth of a zeal to Godward, and of a love that he beareth towards him. And if we do so, that is to say, if every of us be grieved at his own vices, certainly we shall never find leisure to be at enmity with other folks, 
or to spite our neighbours, but if we have a true zeal to God's honour, undoubtedly we will forget the offences that are committed against us, and not be so hasty as to say, I will maintain mine honour or honesty. For we shall have another, greater and worthier let to hold us back, that is, to wit, the revenging of the fault which we ourselves have committed against God, and whereby he hath been dishonoured as much as in us lay, and the forgetting of the offence that hath been committed against ourselves. Thus ye see in effect what we have to consider upon this, where St. Paul showeth us that men must turn their eyes away from the occasions which they may conceive to be revenged of others. For if a fly do but come otherward our eyes, we be by and by in a spiteful collar, insomuch as there needeth no more to make us fall out with everybody that doth anything which misliketh us. So then let us learn to forsake ourselves and to think every of us upon our own faults, that we may be so displeased with them, as it may rid away our collar sickness, wherewith we fall to fighting against God, and make us to be angry at the great number of vices whereto we be too much given. That is the thing which we have to remember in the first place, and as touching the second point we will delay it until next the Sunday, at which time it shall, by God's leave, be discoursed at length. Now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgment of our sins, praying him to make us perceive them more and more, and therewithal to enlighten us so by the doctrine of the gospel, as we may espy our own sins and shamefulness, and be ashamed of ourselves, and also behold the righteousness which hath been showed us in our Lord Jesus Christ, and tend thereunto with endeavour to be fashioned thereafter, so as we may come daily nearer and nearer thereunto, until we cleave thoroughly unto it, and that, in the meantime, he bear with our infirmities, granting us the grace to amend them from day to day, in hope that he will show himself merciful towards us. So we play the judges against our own selves in condemning all the vices which we perceive to be in us. That it may please him to grant this grace not only to us, but also to all people and nations of the earth, etc. End of Sermon 30